0: Thank you, Tim. Uh, Good morning, everybody. You can come on in if you're in the back and you need a place. Um, Later on the sermon, toward the very end, uh, the third through fifth graders are going to make their way in the front and sort of uh, park themselves down here, so don't be distracted by that. They're going to come in this side door. That'll happen toward the end of the sermon, just an FYI. Also, um, I just wanted to mention one thing I'm I'm very excited about. We prayed for um, IBGE today and uh, Jose and Andrea in the work they do, I love them so much. I'm so proud of them for the hard work and effort they've put in um, over the years. This is the second church that Jose has planted. The first church he planted while working full-time. And that church is, um, is continuing on. And then he's, uh, he's been uh, able to, to focus here as well. And we're just so grateful for him that he's been able to dedicate himself to that in such an, in a great way and see so much fruit from that. One of the things that's really exciting about that is that IBGE uh, almost a year ago uh, started a church planting residency where they're training uh, members of the congregation to go out and plant new churches in the future. So it's always been our aim to plant a multiplying church, and, uh, and sometimes uh, sometimes that's, uh, that happens and sometimes it doesn't, but I'm really excited to see the dedication that they've given, not just to planting, establishing, and growing a faithful church among Spanish speakers in the area, but by dedicating part of them, their time and energy and attention to developing and equipping new church planning leaders for the future. It's, it's very exciting to think about what the Lord could do. 26% of our population is, uh, is uh, Spanish is their first language in, in this area. So it's very um, exciting to think about the possibility of reaching Spanish speakers here. So let me read <coughs> together with you, if you have your Bibles, uh, Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. I was really excited last week because usually when Pastor Colby and I divvy up texts he does the divvying and distributes it out and usually I get the really hard texts and he gets the easy ones. Well last week he had a really hard text and so I get a really easy one so I'm super grateful that he attacked that text last week. He did such a a good job but I want to read to you the beginning of Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Remember, 2 Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is given by God. It's profitable for our correction, reproof, instruction, and in righteousness, so that we could become perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work. This is God breathed to you and me. So we need to listen. Romans two one through eleven. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you the judge practice the very same things we know that the judgment of god rightly falls on those who practice such things do you suppose O man you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of god verse 4 or do you presume On the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek For glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, but also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality i can't remember exactly when this happened in our family i wish i could remember the first time it was uh, for me like a stroke of genius but but it's multiplied many times over i can't remember exactly where we were how it started but on a day long ago when i was stressed out about the finances of our household and our kids were really really little i found myself standing in front of a cashier somewhere appalled by the amount of money she was charging me for what i was getting in exchange and, and money was tight in our household, and I started asking uh, cashiers for special treatment. I did. I, I started asking them for, for special treatment in stores and restaurants, and I noticed this. When I ask a cashier for special treatment, about half the time, I was given it. I actually get special treatment just by asking for it. To demonstrate how this usually goes, I want to invite my daughter Ruthie to come. Uh, she's going to help me demonstrate how this usually goes. Um, Ruthie is 17. She's amazing, and she is. I've given her a little script, and she's going to just. This is just a demonstration. So before we do this, Ruthie, uh, do you do you like it when I do this? No. <laughs> <laughs> and can you tell when I'm about to do this? Yeah. <laughs> like how do you know I'm about to do this? Um, because you are super, un- you make the cashier super uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, so this is how it goes. <clears throat> we call this the good guy discount. <clears throat> okay, sir, your total is going to be 74.27. 74.27? Yeah, that's right, 74. Oh, wow, that is, that's more than I expected. Are you sure you rang everything up right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's correct. Okay, Uh, it's it's really not a problem, Um, not a big deal. Uh, You guys have like military discounts and senior citizen discounts and uh, student discounts, employee discounts, stuff like that? Yeah, we do, but do any of those apply to you? Well, no, no, they don't. (coughs) But if you had a discount for like good guys, I would definitely qualify for that one. Do you do you have a good guy discount? Uh, sure. Sure. That's how it normally goes. They're like, sure. OK, give her a hand. Give her a hand. Yes, 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 yes. Sometimes they say, uh, no, sir, we don't have a good guy discount. You know, it's gotten a lot more complicated with covid. People have masks on. You can't see their facial expressions. So uh, I'm really looking forward to covid ending so I can get a discount again. But it works a lot of the time. I have gotten some amazing things. I mean, you would just be amazed. I mean, when my family, there's seven of us, when we go out to eat, like, it's, it costs a lot of money. And uh, sometimes a, a common thing that happens is they won't charge us for our drinks when we go somewhere, which is like 15 or 20 bucks, you know? Um, another thing that sometimes happens is they'll give us the employee. I don't really know what discount we're getting. They just take some discount out there and apply it to me just because... I ask for it, and I am amazed by that. The first time that I did it, I never expected to actually get it, but then when I did, and I kept trying it over and over again, I see the good guy discount works, and I I find myself telling other dads about the good guy discount, I was like, listen guys, you don't know, let me tell you how to do this, the good guy discount, Colby and I have had many conversations about the good guy discount, Uh, have you ever tried it, Colby? No. It's a go-to move for me, though. Uh, My kids see it coming from a mile away. Some of you are here today, and you're thinking, I cannot believe he actually does that. That is so tacky. (laughs) My wife back there. Uh, Some of you are thinking uh, it's tacky, but uh, probably a lot of the wives and children are in that group. But Some of you are thinking, that is brilliant. And you have plans to try that out this afternoon when you're off with your family at lunch. <clears throat> the reason I tell you about the good guy discount is because when I started studying Romans chapter 2, uh, in preparation for today's talk, I realized that the realities and the assumptions that are at play in the good guy discount are also at play in Romans 2. Namely, entitlement, presumption, uh, and... and uh, and perception are at play. Entitlement, presumption, and perception. These factors are at play in, the, in our spiritual lives, just like they are in the good guy discount exchange. In Romans chapter 2, Paul skillfully exposes the folly of these kinds of assumptions. So today, what I want to do is I want to walk through the verses that I've just read, and I want to highlight for you some spiritual discounts, if you will, that good people can sometimes believe themselves to be entitled to. Some spiritual discounts that good people sometimes believe themselves to be entitled to. Three of them. The first one is what I'll call the coupon exchange. The coupon exchange. Look at how the passage begins. Therefore, this word is a really important indicator in the Bible. Anytime you see this word, you should it should it should capture your mind. It should perk you up. Um, this word is is really important. It's an important indicator that you're about to read uh, something in Romans two. As you begin Romans two, that's connected to something that was said previously in Romans chapter one. So the word therefore always links two thoughts. So anytime, you may have heard this before, but anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you should stop and ask the question, what's it there for? In the Bible, God's trying to link two ideas in our mind when he says therefore. Also, keep in mind that chapter breaks and verse breaks in the Bible are not inspired. They're not part of what, is, what was breathed out by God and is profitable for our correction and instruction in righteousness. They weren't put there by the writers of the New Testament. They came way later, way later. Chapter divisions showed up in the 13th century. Uh, the, first, uh, the first English chapter breaks uh, with verses also in them uh, didn't come until the Geneva Bible was published in 1560. So this passage we're reading is just a continuation of the text we studied last week. So if you, if you strip out all those chapter breaks and all those verse breaks and you just think of it as one letter, then you see that this is just a continuation of what was being talked about last week. Consider that as we look. Let's just look before the therefore. So turn back to chapter one, what we went over last week, and remind ourselves of the passage we studied last week. Peek back, just turn a page or, or scroll back and And see in chapter 1 that Paul is talking about those who are filled with what he calls all manner of unrighteousness. Remember this part. It was a pretty memorable sermon. You probably remember this part of it. He says, uh, like starting in verse 29, he says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy and murder and strife and maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, hater of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. They're creative in how they come up with evil schemes. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do those things anyway, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's how the passage ended last week, talking about these evil people. But then the therefore links that to what we're going to read now, look in the beginning of chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. So what we see is evil people, and we generally don't see ourselves in that camp, we see ourselves on the other side of that therefore, we're looking over at that camp, and we're judging them, aren't we? Hmm. So we're judging the people who are evil, those who do all the bad things, from our perch in righteousness. For passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves, is what Paul says. So now he's talking to us, the religious, on the other side of the therefore. And he says, we pass judgment on ourselves, we condemn ourselves because we judge them. And we actually practice the exact same things that they practice. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So we know that the evil people, God's judgment falls on them. That's what he says at the end of verse 2. Do you, then he asks us a question, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, these people are under the judgment of God because of their evil deeds, And you are under the judgment of God because you judge them for their evil deeds and think yourselves to be better than them when actually you do the same as them. That's an indictment. Why would God say that those who judge evil in the world practice the same things as those who do evil in the world? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't set exactly right with me. Well, it's because it's absolutely true is why. The gospel of grace that you and I are here today to celebrate is not a gospel of works of any manner of self-righteousness. What we're here to celebrate is that we are completely wicked, yet Jesus has saved us in spite of our wickedness. Our gathering here today is not about our religious affections, our good deeds, our adherence to any laws, moral or, or otherwise. We are here today because we, before God we are completely dead Ephesians chapter 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are lifeless. The word uh, dead in our trespasses and sins is, is the word we get, the word decaying from. We are rotting away in our deadness before God. We are lifeless. We are useless, spiritually speaking, when God found us. In fact, the very next chapter, Paul will clarify, and he will say it directly. This is chapter 3. Pastor Colby will get to this. He'll say it directly. No one is righteous, not even one. We think, okay, we're a little righteous. we have kind of got a little righteousness. And, and Paul says, no, no one's righteous. Romans 3.10, not even one. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, Isaiah says. We fade like a leaf. Our iniquities, like the wind, they take us away. For whoever keeps the whole law, James says, but fails at one point. Has become guilty of the whole law. You may not like that, but that is God's truth. It's His law. So, the first discount good people seek after from God is a coupon exchange. I've got this coupon from Aldi. Surely they'll accept it at Wegmans. Those of us who are proud of our piety, who are satisfied with our sanctification, who are impressed with our independence, who are mesmerized by our morality. We seek to offer God religion and self-righteousness in exchange for the repentance he requires. Or, he says, verse 4, look, or do you presume, oh, that is a powerful word, isn't it? Or do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He says, what we do when we we assume that God will accept the coupon of our morality in exchange for righteousness of his own son, what we do is we presume upon the riches of his grace and kindness and forbearance and patience. But, look at verse 5, but because of your hand, And your impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He says, What's happening is you're presuming on God, you're presuming that He's going to be patient and kind and gentle with you, even though you uh, you are a sinner that deserves to be judged for your sin. You're presuming, and what's going to actually happen is you're storing up for yourself wrath that will be delivered to you on the day of judgment. You will be shocked. As the Gospels tell us that many will stand before him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Like we are left without excuse. God's word tells us that there are many who will stand before him on that day and depend on their morality to make them right with God. Even though we've been heard and been preached and read in the gospel over and over again and observed in our own lives our inability to be moral people. We still will depend on our righteousness, presuming upon the grace of God. You see, the mistake we make and the lie we believe is that Jesus gives a rip about our religion. That God, the only being in the universe that is truly good, the inventor of good in fact, the definer of good, would accept your dirty self-interested good deed coupon in exchange for his perfect life and death on the cross. Is it? It's just foolish. I mean, when, when we say it like that, doesn't it feel foolish? But it's an indicator that we think far too much of ourselves and far too little of God. So, the first discount that we, we presume upon God, that we expect God will honor for us, is the discount of an exchanged coupon. Now, the second discount that we presume upon God is... The coupon uh, I'm going to call, or the discount I'm going to call, the poser discount, the poser discount. Now I know this may be really hard for you to imagine, as uh, as you look up here today, but there was a 12-year-old version of Clint Clifton that considered himself a skater. <laughs> I had a legitimately cool rat tail. that went to the middle of my back and (laughs) curled all the way down. There are pictures somewhere. I had baggy pants, I had a pair of bands, and I had a vision psycho stick. Now, a lot of you don't know what that is, but some of you do. The other ones, you can Google it. I was, uh, though, what other skaters called a poser. It's not nice. You're right. Thank you. That's not nice. <laughs> I walked around with my board. I wore the clothes. But I was a stand-in. I was a, I was a look-alike. I was a wannabe. If you saw me on the poster, you'd say, that guy's a skater. If you saw me on the ramp, you'd say, that guy is not a skater. <laughs> Look at verse 6. He'll render to each one according to how he looks. No. That's not what it says. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be for them wrath and fury. You see, the mistake here is believing that God can be fooled by our appearance. He judges, God judges, based on what really exists, not what merely appears to be. For The Lord sees not as man sees, the Bible teaches us in the Old Testament. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He will deal with with what every person really did. He will not deal with what every person intended to do or hoped to do or wanted to do. We are foolish, we are we are fools if we believe that we will stand before a righteous judge one day and he will accept our plea of it's the thought that counts instead of our, our plea of no contest before the judge. Our only hope is to walk into the courtroom pleading no contest and to say with the psalmist, if you, O oh Lord, should mark my iniquities, who could stand in front of you? You see, we can't stand before God, even with our best deeds. That's the clear message of the scripture, yet everything in this world, and everything in our own intuitions will say, that is a lie. That is not true. But if you, it, this, is, this is one of those forks in the road where we have to decide, do we, do we believe the world's message about humanity or do we believe God's? Because what you believe about God will make all the difference in eternity. If you, O oh Lord, should mark my iniquities, who could stand in front of you? So God does not give the poser discount out. And discount number three that I want to mention to you is what I'll call the special treatment discount, the special treatment discount. Have you ever noticed um, that Lady Justice, the statue that's in front of all the courthouses, is wearing a blindfold? So Justice is blindfolded not because she's blind, but because she may not see men in either silk or rags. All must appear alike to her. See, good judges, the as the statue depicts, good judges don't show partiality. And God is a good judge. If God showed partiality, he wouldn't be a very good judge. Because some people would find themselves on the wrong side of his partiality. And God would be unjust. The only way justice is served is for it to be blind. When I stand in front of a cashier with my five children and a look of distress over all the money owed, I'm playing on the fact that the judge before me may compromise her integrity in the face of my circumstances. I'm asking for special treatment from her. And if I'm given the good guy discount, like I said, 50% of the time, If I'm given the good guy discount when, in fact, there is no good guy discount, it will be because the lady, justice, behind the cash register has removed her blindfold and she's compromised the standard set before her. If the owner of that store were to know what she did, she might rightly be fired. You see, a good judge is an impartial judge. Look at verse 9 there. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, So all those evildoers we read about at the end of chapter 1, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be distressed. They're going to experience tribulation. That seems right to us. But glory and honor and peace is for everyone who does good for the Jew and also for the Greek. That seems right to us too, right? Because God doesn't show partiality. You do good, you get good things. You do bad, you get bad things. That seems like the way the world's supposed to work. If God were divvying out good things to bad people and bad things to good people, we'd say, God's not a good judge. Catch what he's saying here, because it, it's, it's not what you think on the surface. What he's saying here is if you are evil, like the end of chapter one, your judgment from God is tribulation and distress. And he's also saying, if you are good, like the beginning of chapter 2, your judgment is honor and peace. So upon reading that, you might probably be thinking, oh, okay, good. Given those two selections, I'm just going to do good. And, And the judge will give me honor and peace. That'll be my lot in life. God would only give you the reward of the righteous if he takes off his blindfold, though, and shows partiality to you. And that would make him an evil judge. For you, my friend, are not a a man of honor. You're not good. You don't deserve peace for your righteousness. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says, and that is my observation about my own heart. And by the way, it's my observation about yours, too. No one is righteous, not even one, Romans tells us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Everybody is in this situation. We've all sinned. <laughs> oh, but the glory of the gospel, the thing we came here to celebrate, is that, is, is, so Romans 3.23, all sinned falls fall short of the glory of God. It starts in verse 24, though. And are justified by his gift of grace. So here's the thing. Bad people get wrath and fury. Good people get peace in in heaven. And, and, And we are bad people. But God has not overlooked our badness, but he has given us a gift of grace through the redemption of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what verse 24 says. What is his gift of grace? It wasn't to overlook our sin. It was to... To bestow our sin upon his only begotten son, whom God put forward as a propitiation to his blood or a substitution for his blood. That, that, that word is so important. He is a substitute for us. To receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. So God showed off his righteousness by being both a good judge and a merciful savior because his divine forbearance had passed over our former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this present time so that he might be, listen to this, both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So what Jesus is to you, if you're really a Christian, is he is both a just judge with his blindfold intact and he is both a merciful savior who has justified you by putting the weight of your sin, the punishment for your sin, on his own son. Wow. Like The gospel that Jesus has given to us is so much better. In just a, a few minutes, we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, and we do it this together, we're, we're going to taste a small piece of bread and a little sip of juice to remind ourselves that God is both righteous judge who shows no partiality and gracious judge that took his own judgment against our sins upon his beloved son. You might be here today and your, your pockets are like stuffed full of discounts and coupons that you hope God will accept. Like maybe you're like one of those people, you've seen them with the binders of all the coupons and you are just banking, one of those is going to cash you in. I'm here to tell you that today, according to God and his word, you are an evildoer, and your only hope for right standing before him is the substitutionary death of his son in your place for your sins on the cross. If that is the The gospel applied to your life as the truth that you accept and believe this meal that we will share in is for you. And if you are not, there is nothing more important in this life than for you to reconcile with God. He is offering to you, he is extending to you an offer of forgiveness for your blatant disobedience to his law. Jesus, we love you with all of our heart and what we want today is to be right before you. If if the Scripture is true, then this life is a sliver, just a tiny fraction, unmeasurable, it's so small, imperceivable, so small, of our eternity. And God, we pray, Pray that in this time you would give us faith. There are people here today that are trusting in all kinds of insufficient things to get themselves to you, to get themselves to peace, to tranquility, to rightness. God, would you unveil to us, would you uncover to us the wickedness that we have before you? Would you show us, because it doesn't seem right to us that our righteousness is like filthy rags before you, would you show us that? Would you help us to have a taste of how how disgusting our sins are to you so that we could cherish, believe and accept your gift of substitute and forgiveness with joy? Oh God, could our acts of morality and love and ethics and service, could they be fueled by gratitude for your gospel not fueled by a desire to achieve your acceptance oh god please in your mercy give us the gift of faith in your son help us to trust in you with all of our heart show us how wicked our sins are before you we ask in the name of jesus we pray amen